Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 9. As Pastor said, my name is Sam Wilson. I'm with International Board of Jewish Missions, and I am delighted to be here at Baptist College of Ministry today. And um, I want to thank Pastor and, and Pastor Zempel and whoever else was involved in allowing me the chance to get up here and speak. I, I, I am delighted to have the chance to address you guys, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Before we get into the message this morning, there are two things I'm wanting to do that perhaps are separate from the message, but maybe, maybe they kind of connect. Tonight, when the sun goes down, it is the beginning of Yom HaShoah. Uh, in Hebrew, Yom is day, and Ha means the, and Shoah means holocaust. And so Yom HaShoah is day of the holocaust, uh, or Holocaust Remembrance Day. And, and t- from sundown tonight till sundown tomorrow, uh, Jewish people around the world, uh, in Israel especially, but really all around the world, will be re- remembering the Holocaust. To, to most of us, the Holocaust seems like, okay, that was some event that happened, some historical event. I've read about that somewhere. Um, it's not a distant hysterical, historical re- event to Jewish people. It's a very living reality. When I lived in Israel and served there, it was very, very frequent that I would meet someone, and as we got to talking and learning more about them, they would tell me, my grandma was the only one from our whole extended family that survived, and she moved to Israel, and in the course of time, I was born. You stop and think about that. Your mom and dad to the ovens, your brothers and sisters perished, your aunts, your uncles, grandma and grandpa cousins, all dead, you alone survived. It's, today, many years later, to the Jewish people, it's a, a shocking and current, and it's a reality that they, they still haven't figured out how to deal with. Uh, and one of the things that they often say is never again, never again will we allow anyone to slaughter immersively, six million men, women, and children for no reason other than the fact that they're Jewish. Uh, and so today is uh, today and tomorrow is Yom HaShoah. Tomorrow at noon in Israel, siren will go off for two minutes. And during that two minutes, everyone in the country will stop what they're doing. And they will stand with bowed heads and either pray or remember. In, in, in the office buildings, the businessmen will, will stop what they're doing and they will stand and remember. And the classrooms, the students will do the same. Cars going down the interstates will stop in the middle of the interstate and the drivers will get out and stand and remember. As the whole country takes time really for the whole day, but especially for that, those moments, to remember what happened and uh, we're, we work with Jewish people. That's International Board of Jewish Missions. We're, we're about reaching everybody, but with an emphasis on reaching the Jewish people. It's a reality that is close to our hearts, and we, we cannot forget. And it's wrong for the world to forget. At the same time, I, I have served in Russia and in Ukraine. And the situation going on in Ukraine today is extremely close to my heart. Uh, I have friends right now who are there, who are in the country, who are, who are 
ducking from the air raid sirens who have bombs going off around them, others who are refugees who are living far from their home. Probably their home isn't there anymore. Nobody knows. And they're living in the other side of the country as refugees, sleeping on cement floors, not able to go home and resume their lives because their, their city is being pounded into rubble right now. Uh, there are great needs going on out there in the world. We, we live here in Menominee Falls, and life is pretty easy. And we're very occupied with all the stuff that's going on, but really kind of we're just doing life. But sometimes it's a good time, a good thing for us to remember that just going through the routines of life and enjoying the things that we are enjoying is not, there's more to life than that. And it can be snatched away in a heartbeat. And it's good to remember that. Can we take a moment right now and pray for these two groups of people that are greatly on my heart today? So let's stand with me. And let's, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the Jewish people and upon the Ukrainian people at this time. Father, we come to you now and Lord, I think of Jewish friends around the world and how today and tomorrow they will take time to remember the six million who perished in the, in the Holocaust. Lord, it's a heavy burden. It's a great grief to them to this day. And Lord, our hearts go out to them in it. And we pray for the Jewish people. And Lord, we pray that in their grief that they would look to you. And Lord, that we would be able in love and compassion to share with them the words of life. Father, I think about so many dear friends in Ukraine and so many people there that obviously I don't know and the, the disaster that's going on there, the carnage, the enormous destruction, the, the unspeakable injustice of what's going on. Father, I pray for your blessing upon those people. Lord, I, I pray especially for our, our brothers and sisters who are with enormous courage stepping up and serving you in the midst of devastation, that you'd bless them. And Lord, that, that in a time of great darkness, your light would shine all the more brightly there and that you would sustain and bless and help your people there. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon this chapel service. I thank you for these, these dear young people. And I pray your blessing upon them. And, and Lord, for all of these here who are ministering to them, teaching them and leading them and, and, and mentoring them, Lord, that you would bless the administration and the staff here that minister to them. But Lord, we ask now as, as we get into your, your word that you would speak to our hearts. Father, we, we desire, Lord, we need to hear from you today. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, 
who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Really an interesting question, isn't it? The disciples were sure that because this guy was born blind, that that must be the judgment of God falling on him because either he sinned or his parents sinned. I'm frankly really curious to ask the disciples what sin they think this guy committed in the womb that he would be born blind. I mean, what did he do? He must have done something really bad uh, that God struck him with blindness before he was born. Uh, But anyway, who did sin this man? You know, folks, can I tell you something? There are times when God will judge a person for their sin in, in some concrete, specific way, like with a sickness or a disability. But it's a grave error to account every sickness or disability as God's judgment on somebody for their sin. Um, one of the worst things about that is that it kind of implies that I must be pretty good because I'm healthy, you know? So God didn't do that to me, so I'm good. Uh, it's not that simple. And then Jesus says that. He said, Jesus answered, saying, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Uh, that's an interesting verse. He said, first of all, no, it's, it's not about that. It's not because he's not blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned. And he told why he is blind. He said that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And that's an interesting statement that we could spend some time on. But I'm, I'm going to go right past it and hasten forward. Verse 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm going to park today on verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There are several things in this verse that that I want to just kind of open up this morning and talk a little bit about. The first thing Jesus says is, he says, I must work. I must work. And and I think that's a really important statement that we need to think about. Because God wants us to work. Now, somebody's going to say, hold it, hold it, hold it. Doesn't Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us that we're not saved by our works? It's by grace that we're saved through faith and not of works. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. Isn't that what the Bible says? I said, yeah, that's that you're right. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it's by grace through faith that it's not of works. But the next verse says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so it says, how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. For what are we saved? We are saved to do good works. We're saved to work. I, I was at, at one ministry, and I noticed that their logo was, life is for service. I don't know if that's everything that life is for, but life is for service. It, it, it really is. Um, I love to ask young people, what they're planning to do in the future. I love to go up to young people and say, so what are you going to, I don't usually say, what are you going to be when you grow up? I, I always look at them and I'm like, hey, I'm not really sure they're ever going to grow up. Uh, so I always say, what are you going to be if you ever grow up? Uh, not really expressing doubt, but I mean, you know, seriously. So, so I, I ask that question and, and very typically, you know, young people will tell me, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a businessman or I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a lawyer. And, uh, or I'm to be a you know, veterinarian or, or whatever, cowboy. That's, that's the third graders. Uh, 
And I, I shouldn't probably confess to this, but I don't have the slightest interest in what they're going to be when they grow up. I ask them that question, not because I'm interested in the answer, but because I'm setting up the next question. Because then I'll ask them, I say, oh, that's really interesting. So why do you want to be that? Because now I'm finding out what's going on in their head and their heart. Why do you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a businessman, a cowboy, or what? Why do you want to be that? And usually they look a little confused. Why? Well, hey, you know, that's where the money is. Interesting thing to ask young people and how often they say, my whole goal is to get this career so I can make lots of money. So the goal of your life is to have lots of money. Sure. I mean, who doesn't like money? I like money. Money, money's good, you know. I mean, there's nobody here that's really desiring to be broke. Uh, I mean, some of us are pretty good at it. We've become accustomed to it. But it's not something we're looking for, really. But are you willing to sell your life for money? Like, is money so precious? Is it so important that I'm will, willing to give up my life? Because, like, you know, so the whole purpose of my life is if, if at the end of my life I can have a bigger collection of dollar bills than anybody else in the room, that means I had a meaningful life? If you think that way, you're selling yourself way, way short. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but... My, my life is worth way more than that, okay? If, if you said to me, Sam, you're going to have to spend your life trying to get a bigger collection, a bigger pile of dollars than anybody else in the room, I'd be like, no, no. My life means way too much to me to throw it away on such a foolish goal. That's um, not, not really interested. You see, I want to make a difference, the average American, if you talk to them, their whole thing is, well, I need to get a really good education. Why? Well, so I can get a really good job. Why? Well, so I can make lots of money. Why? Well, because then I can buy a really cool car. Why? Well, if I have a really cool car, then I probably get a really cool girl. It's interesting logic. <laughs> and then I can have a really cool family and I can have a really nice house. And so the conclusion of this is that the purpose of my life is to have a good education, so I can have a good job and have a lot of money so I can have a very nice family, a nice car, and a nice house. And that's what my life is about. I fiercely disagree with that statement. One of the benefits of being a missionary is that I raised my children on the mission field. The average American today truly believes that the purpose of life is to have a nice little, a nice little car and a nice little house with a nice little family and a nice little life. That's catastrophic. That's disastrous. People are seeking happiness. Can I tell you something? You don't find happiness by seeking happiness. 
America is a country that is crazy about seeking happiness. America is a country where everybody is in therapy and everybody's taking pills, anti-depression pills. Okay, we're a country that's seeking happiness and, and not finding it because happiness is not achieved by seeking happiness. God has called us to serve him. God has called us to make a difference in the world. And as I go and pursue God's will, as I go and serve God, and as I'm serving God, serve men by helping them come to Christ. An accidental byproduct of that is joy and fulfillment and the blessings of God. And you know what? While I'm working myself crazy serving the Lord, I find out that I'm incredibly happy doing that. Happiness is not a result of seeking happiness. It's a, it's a result of serving the Lord. If you look in the scriptures over in, in, in Acts chapter 9, really just a, such a dramatic moment in, in the scriptures because we're reading about the uh, Saul of Tarsus and he's, he's on his way, uh, he's, he's breathing, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples. He's on his way to Damascus to, to, to arrest men and bring them bound back to Jerusalem and as he's journeying, there's this great light from heaven. Boom. I mean, a light that knocks him to the ground. I mean, generally speaking, light doesn't knock you to the ground. This was some kind of very unusual light. And this glaring light from heaven, boom, knocks him to the ground. And there on the ground, he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Okay, now, that's a scary moment. Okay, like you're on the ground, great light from heaven just knocked you there, and whoever's up there is saying, you're persecuting me, and you're like, oh, that isn't good. <laughs> okay, I mean, like that, 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 no, not good. Uh, and, and Saul, now, verse 5 says, if you were reading it, you would read, you would say, and he said, who art thou, Lord? But you read it wrong, because you have to add several octaves to that, it, what he actually said, and he said, who art thou, Lord? Uh, <laughs> Because he was in terror at that moment. What in the world? I'm just going, he thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing the right thing. I'm going to get those, those rotten Christians and throw them in prison where they belong. And suddenly God says, why are you persecuting me? And his first question, very logical question is, who's there? The next words bulldozed Saul's life. The Lord said, I am Jesus. Uh-oh. Can you imagine yourself being Saul? There on the ground next to the road. And you just heard the guy who's in heaven say, I am Jesus. You've been going around persecuting him. And now you realize that Jesus is God. And you are toast. It's hard to think of a scarier moment than that. It's very, 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 very interesting to me what happens right at this moment. You can debate it. You can understand it differently if you'd like. My belief is that at this moment, Saul, first of all, believed in Christ, accepted him as Savior, and was born again in an instant here alongside the road. You say, where do you get that? Well, the next word Saul says, he trembling and astonished said, Lord. He hadn't been calling Jesus Lord before then. 
But now he says, he calls Jesus Lord. I believe in that moment, and in just in a, in a heartbeat there, he understood and he believed and his entire worldview in a moment did a 180. And listen to Saul's words. Lord, what would thou have me to do? At the moment of his salvation, he said, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. Lord, what can I do? I, I'm your servant. What can I do? You see, because Saul understood what Jesus said in John chapter 9, I must work. He understood that, that we are saved in order to serve God to make a difference in this world. And the moment he got saved, he reported for duty. We have this weird very strange idea that, that somebody gets saved and then they go along in their life and maybe they go in Christ and maybe they don't. It's kind of hard to tell. And then, then maybe at some point they decide they want to serve the Lord. Uh, I, there's nothing biblical about that concept. Okay? The truth of the matter is we're saved to serve the Lord. That's what we're here for. Okay? And we see that in, in Saul's life. He was ready to go. Now, I want to go on. He says, I must work. And then in verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work the works of him that sent me. What is it that we are to do? Now, we could talk about a lot of things. Okay? There's a lot of things that God's told us to do. We've got all the scriptures and there's many commandments in it. But I have to say, I want to say that of all the things that we need to do, it really, if you go to fundamentally down to the bottom of it, it's got to be taking the gospel to the lost. Now, that's not the only thing. But it's got to be a foundational and a primary thing. God said, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heartbeat, okay? Let me tell you, I don't know, it's got to be like, the greatest tragedy of all is that Jesus Christ comes to the earth. God the Son leaves heaven, comes to earth, gives himself as a willing sacrifice on the cross, sheds his blood to pay for man's sin. He's died, he's buried, he rises again, providing salvation to all who will receive him. And yet men perish. Because they don't know. Because nobody went and told them. I must work the works of him that sent me. I must do his work. And at the very, at the very heart of that has got to be taking the gospel. If You say, well, God's got a lot of priorities. Yes, he does. But there's only one of those priorities that he, that he chose to sacrifice the life of his son to accomplish. Okay, that's kind of got to be high on his list, I think. He gave his son for the salvation of men, and multitudes do not know. Because we have not gone. I was talking to an elderly gentleman. You guys think I'm elderly? He was, he's, elderly, he's elderly compared to me, okay? So, I mean, he's old as dirt. Uh, he's talking to an elderly man who has been a, a mission board director for many years, and he said this, terrifying words. He said that they've done a study, and that if you compare the situation today with the situation 20 years ago, 
and you compare the number of students coming out of, out of Christian colleges desiring to serve the Lord as missionaries, we have 10% now of the number that were coming out 20 years ago. So we didn't have enough 20 years ago. And now 9 out of 10 of those are gone. There's an entire world out there that needs to be reached. There weren't enough then, and now we only have 10% of that to reach the world. We're not going to get the job done. Okay? And, and it, it really makes you stop and think. You think, oh, that's very interesting. Why would that be? Maybe we're doing such a great job of reaching the world that there's no need. Yeah, no, that's not it. Uh, just forget that one. Okay, no, okay. So maybe God decided to quit calling people to the mission field. I'll bet that's it. Does anybody here believe that? No. Then why do we only have 10%? There's only, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you got some theory I don't, I don't know about. I can only see one possible answer to that. Christians are saying, I never heard God call me. Nope, nope. God never called me. I haven't heard a thing from God. Nope, nope. I haven't seen his call anywhere. No, I looked and I didn't. I, nope, uh-uh. Can't hear a thing. With all my heart, I am convinced that God is still calling, that he's calling more than he was 20 years ago, but that the vast majority of the Christians who are being called to the mission field are saying, nice car, nice house, nice little family, nice little life, that's all I want, leave me alone. And the world's perishing. God said, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. And God is sending. I fear that we're not listening. And then he said, while it is day. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. That's kind of a crazy thing to say. The night cometh when no man can work. Can you imagine... Pastor Van Gelderen coming to the pulpit and saying, there's no need for you guys to do any more witnessing, no more soul winning, you can stop. Can you imagine him saying that? I can't either. But that's coming. The day is coming when you will never again be asked to win a soul, when you will never again be asked to witness because it'll be too late. It'll be over. You say, what's that talking about? Well, I mean, it can be talking about a lot of different things. I, I think that what it's talking about primarily is it's talking about the Lord's return. There's a day coming. You say, when? Don't know. When? Could be today. There's a day coming when a, when a, when a trumpet is going to sound and then it's over. There's no more, no more soul winning, no more witnessing. Those that you've witnessed to who have gotten saved, they will, be, they will be called away. Those that you failed to witness to 
will be lost forever. Those countries that did not get the gospel will be lost forever. It, it, it's really serious. It, 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 we, we don't think about it. But it doesn't have to be that, okay? So the, the Lord's coming is, is one way that it can happen, okay? But, you know, maybe God's been leading you to witness to that neighbor across the street, and you get up and stretch, and you look out the window, and there's a moving truck. And their furniture's all going in the truck, and they're going down the road, and I never got the gospel to him. Night came, and no man can work. Or maybe it's not a moving truck. Maybe it's an ambulance. And he's off to the hospital. And he didn't ever come back. There's a lot of ways that night can come and we lose every opportunity to share the gospel. But God says this is a very real thing. Jesus said, I must work the works of, the, of him that sent me while it is day. Night's coming when no man can work. I remember when my, myself and my dear friend Vladimir Akimov uh, we were in Ukraine. Uh, I, I go there several times a year and, and preach in churches all over that country. And I, I mean, I couldn't mention any of them, but I, we were in a town named Chernigov, uh, a, a small city north of Kiev. Uh, we were in Chernigov and we were preaching the word of God and teaching the people there uh, and, and doing the work of the ministry there. We had no idea that that was the last opportunity we would ever have. We had no idea that before we ever had a chance to return to Chernigov that there would be an invasion and that the first stop on the road to Kiev was Chernigov and that the Russian tanks would come and would encircle that city and that they would begin to bombard it and that that city would be reduced to rubble, that those churches would be destroyed, that those Christians would be killed or scattered. But that's what happened. And I don't suppose we'll have another opportunity to ever go to Chernigov and preach in the churches there. Because Chernigov's been wiped off the map. You don't know when, when it's going to happen. Um, pastor said that I'm the global outreach director at International Board of Jewish Missions. Uh, when they gave me the title, I, 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 the title in no way reflects what I do. I actually asked them, could I just write Supreme Potentate on my business card? And they said no. So I, I, I had to settle for Global Outreach Direct. I really wanted Supreme Potentate, but it's what I got. Um, what we do is we, we, we travel across the country helping churches reach the Jewish people in, in their communities. There are, there are 10 cities in America with over 100,000 Jewish people. I mean, ten, I mean, now there are Jewish people everywhere in America. You can't go anywhere in America where there are no Jewish people. They're, they're everywhere. But there are 10 cities with in excess of 100,000 people. Um, I think between 250,000 and 300,000 in Chicago. Uh, I live in Atlanta, 160,000. I go to Boston all the time, 260,000. New York City, 1.7 million Jewish people. They have more Jewish people in New York City than they do in Jerusalem. Okay, so 10 cities. Now, I, I've, I, God has given me a goal, a, a vision. I need two families in each of those 10 cities. Now, some of you guys are probably experts in math, and if you need two families, that's 20 families. Uh, see, that's two times, see, I'm good at this. And uh, so that's, that's, I need 20 families. I need 
two, you say, Brother Wilson, would that get the job done? No, not remotely. It would be a good first step. I've got five of them already in hand. I need 15 families. I need 15 men. I need 15, 15 who will go to help us to get the gospel to the Jewish people across America. And the clock is ticking. Night cometh when no man can work. I, I think America gets a little too crazy about sports. And I, I try to resist the temptation to do that. Sadly, I'm from a place where college football is, I mean, you, if you're from there, you kind of have to like college football. And so I'm, I, I'm all in on college football. Don't even ask. Uh, so I don't know if there's any sports fans here. I'm guessing maybe somebody here's heard of the Packers. <laughs> Nervous laughter. That's weird. Okay. <laughs> or the Badgers or something like that. Anyway, so, so football is kind of a crazy game. And excuse me, ladies, I know probably football's not your thing, but you'll understand where I'm going in a moment. Football's kind of a funny thing because at the start of the game, they take the ball and they kick the ball and it goes down to the other end of the field and the guy gets it and he runs about, you know, three or four or five yards and then somebody knocks him to the ground. And, and they start from there and, and, and the offense runs out on the field with great hopes and they run, you know, three or four plays and then they, they can't get a first down so they punt to the other end. And then the ball goes down there and these guys get it and they run a few plays and then they punt back over there and then they punt back over here and then they punt back. And there's all this, like... We're playing the game, but the coaches are like, listen, whoever makes a mistake, they're going to lose the game. So don't make any mistakes. We've got to be really careful. We're going to play mistake-free ball. And, and they're all about like playing it close to the vest and, and playing it conservatively and not taking any unnecessary chances. And, and so what they do mostly is they pump back and forth. And then sometimes somebody accidentally scores a touchdown and everybody cheers. Um, and that's how the game goes for 58 minutes. But then this guy in a striped shirt runs out blows a whistle, and he makes this great pronouncement. Two-minute warning! And the game transforms. It becomes a whole different thing. All of a sudden, they open the game up. This team that didn't want to take any chances, now they're taking ridiculous chances. They're throwing the ball over the, all over the field. The coach is over there, not really, but symbolically, like just tearing pages out of his playbook. He's just, they're going all out now to win the game. And so, you know what, there's only two minutes left and we've got to score because, you know what, there's 120 seconds left, that's it. And then it's over. We've got to win the game right now. And so the quarterback takes it, he throws the ball to this guy, and he throws it to that guy, and throws it down the field. And this team that couldn't go anywhere for 58 minutes. Now it's going bang, 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 bang. Scores a touchdown and everybody cheers. It's great. We've won the game. Uh-oh. There's still a minute, 27 seconds left in the game. Now we've just thrown 58 minutes out the window as though they meant nothing. Oh no, we scored too fast. There's a minute, 20 seconds. And so the other team, which also couldn't move the ball, they get the ball in. Now they're doing the same thing. Bang, 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 bang. And they score a touchdown. And they're all cheering. We now won the game. But there's still 23 seconds left. <laughs> what in the world is going on with that? So I'll tell you, he blows that whistle and he says, two-minute warning. There's 120 seconds left, and it's over. They're going to post, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And either a W or an L is going on your record, 
and it can never be changed. And so now they understand we have 120 seconds and we have to do everything we can to win before that clock strikes zero. And so suddenly they're all in. Suddenly they're willing to do whatever it takes to win the ball game. Young people, the church today is living like they're in the first quarter. Christians are living their Christian lives, going through the motions, doing church. We're just kind of going along doing our thing. You know, do our three, three plays and punt. That's how most Christians are living. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Night cometh when no man can work. Jesus was hearing tick, 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 tick. The clock is running out. It's about to strike zero. If we're ever going to do it, we better do it now. There was an urgency in his ministry. He understood that he was on the clock. And he was determined to get everything done that God had given him to do while the clock was still running. I really believe that we are in the fourth quarter. I believe that we're inside the two-minute warning. And the church is tinkering around. Young people, I have a lot of respect for you. You are here studying for ministry. Most of your peers are not. Praise God for that. But I want you to realize, I must work. I must work his works. And I need to be all in. I need to do it realizing that the clock's running out. There is a world that is perishing. What is God calling you to do about reaching it?